what's up, Chi Alpha? There we are, there we are. Hey, uh, for those of you that um, I haven't met yet, my name is Hunter Johnson and I'm on staff with Chi Alpha here at JMU. This is our fourth year here. I love you too, guys. This is crazy. Like in one more year, I'll be here as long as I was at the previous place, which just feels really weird. So JMU has quickly become a second home and we love it here. Um, something about me is that I love this time of year. Anyone else? Like the warm weather, yeah, yeah, you're like, wait, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what time of year, right? Like spring is sprung, right? Like things that were dead are coming back to life. Reminds us about maybe something you celebrated this past weekend, right? Like as, like as plants are blooming, Easter just happened, what? Like, I love these warm days, the sunsets over East Campus, which is long set and gone by now, but she'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing. Um, like, I really love this time of year. Even though it's terrible for my allergies, anyone else relate? Like, I didn't uh, have seasonal allergies until I married Julia, so <laughs> evidently that's something that can come with marriage, uh, fun fact. But anyways, even though it's bad for my allergies, this time of year is like good for my soul. Like, I'll take it, I'll take it. Um, something else that I really appreciate about this time of year are like, this is the time of year where movies are starting to come out again, where they're like actually really hype. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like in Christmas, like Thanksgiving, we have like a lot of heavy hitters, but then as spring and summer arrives, like there's this kind of lull in between, but now like these movies are starting to come back out. For instance, like there's three that I'm kind of interested in seeing right now. Um, one of them is Air. It's the movie about Nike signing, not Tom Brady, no, that was a different one. Uh, the movie about Nike si signing Michael Jordan. Um, they go from being nobody to somebody. It looks really cool. It's about sneakers. I really like those. Um, so we'll see. Um, there's also the Super Mario Bros. movie. Anyone seen it? Okay, a few of you have. Um, it looks really cute and fun. I don't know. Like, I might give it a try. Um, of course, there's like your classic Marvel movie, right? Like we're a few weeks away from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Super stoked for that. Um, but honestly, like I don't claim to be a movie connoisseur like Evie. There's Evie in the back. Like Evie knows her movies. Like I can't really tell you what's a great or bad movie, but I just like to watch them and have fun. Um, but Julie and I don't go out to the movies all that often because like you could just buy them for the price that you go for, which is just kind of strange. But um, so we have some tough decisions to make in the weeks ahead of like which of these we're going to go see. So uh, stay tuned and find out. But um, one choice we did make a week ago was to watch a movie on Netflix called The Bad Guys. Anyone seen that yet? Because if you haven't, I'm about to spoil it for some of you, which is kind of tough. But, you know, it's been on Netflix for over a year now, which you all have access to. So it's on you at this point, not me, if it's spoiled. So I won't spoil everything, just most of it. You had a year. Um, so anyways, the movie The Bad Guys uh, is about a group of criminals, they're animals, um, who have pulled off many of the world's most notorious heists. And for as long as they can remember, they have always been bad. They've always been the bad guys. Um, they haven't really known anything different. Like one is a wolf, we have a shark, a tarantula on the shoulder there, a snake, and of course the piranha, right? 
And if you think about movies you've seen, like chances are shows you watched growing up, like these were the bad guys in some of those, right? Um, maybe, maybe it was just me. But uh, anyways, um, there's this day where they're pulling off another heist, the biggest heist of their careers. And they're actually caught. One of them slips up and they all get caught. And as they're about to be locked away, presumably for the rest of their lives, this cute guinea pig, the cuddly Professor Marmalade comes to their rescue. Professor Marmalade, loved and cherished by all for his generosity and his kindness and his love for the people in their city, he comes up with a plan. He says, hold up, hold up, let's give these guys another chance. Perhaps, he proudly declares, I can help them become good guys. And everyone kind of talks, all the officers come together and they're like, okay, let's, let's give them a shot at this redemption. And this is really sweet and promising, except for one small detail that you learn much later on in the film as these characters try to become good. And that detail is that Professor Marmalade, the cute and cuddly guinea pig, is actually a cruel, self-centered fraud who wants to destroy the world and anything by using others. This is the moment in the film where he, he's turned away and he's still cute and then he turns back and you're like, what happened? And it turns out, it turns out that he doesn't actually want to give these bad guys a chance at redemption. Instead, he wants to use these bad guys for his own schemes and only wants them free so that he can pull off an even bigger heist that would destroy the city and then he could frame the bad guys as the one who did it. Um, and the moment in the movie where this becomes clear who, who the bad guy really is, um, like that he's been involved in this scheme the whole time, like it's shocking and it's not what you expected. And maybe you haven't seen this movie per se, but chances are you've seen other movies or read some stories where it also had these twist villains, if you will, right? Like whether it be Hans and Frozen or you think about Toy Story 3 and Lotso, right? And I'll stop there not to spoil any more for you guys. Um, but the point that I want to make is that you've probably watched a movie or read a story where it turns out the good guys weren't so good after all, maybe even villainous. And at the same time, maybe it was true that those who are perceived as the bad ones or the bad guys were actually capable of being pretty good in the end. And the parable that we're going to look at tonight as we continue our series and the parables of Jesus called Kingdom Things is going to look at a story with a similar twist. That although in this parable the stakes are actually much higher because the scenario of which this parable is talking about was one that was actually very real. And so, there were people who were widely considered by many to be pretty good, but in reality, they were causing a lot of hurt and a lot of harm in the name of God. And there were also people who were marginalized, considered by many to be pretty bad, but it turns out that maybe they weren't so bad after all. And like in the movie, The Bad Guys, again, I won't completely spoil the details of how it all works out, but maybe these bad guys, these people who are marginalized, were capable of good things and they just couldn't see it yet for themselves or nor could anyone else for that matter. So tonight's parable is really going to address a problem that was not only going on in Jesus's day but had been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years prior and this problem still continues on in our days as well. 
The problem focuses on um, some people who claim to follow God, yet their actions, or really their lack of action, indicates otherwise. And not only that, but they become a stumbling block to many others who are trying to follow God, and they end up pushing many people far away from him. And while this message that we're going to see from the parable may be harsh for those that Jesus is going to rebuke, it's actually good news for me and for you. Because God is able to look past at what we often show on the outside uh, in attempts to impress other people or look like we have it all together, right? Like God actually cares about what's going on inside of us, with what's going on in our hearts, for this is what truly matters. And ultimately, our actions will not flow from the image that we give off, but rather from our hearts. And so this is the message that we're going to be looking at tonight. The message of the gospel is good news, and the gospel is a kingdom thing. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. If you have those Bibles, you can pull them out. If you need one, just kindly slip up your hand. We have plenty of extras in the back. Josh would love to bring you one. Does anybody need a copy? I see one hand over there. Anybody else? All right, sweet. Just one over here. Give you a minute to turn there. Click there, whatever way. Really, we're just waiting on you, Sophia. Sorry. (laughs) All right, well, before we jump in, let's give a little bit of context here. So for those of you that weren't with us last week, we're going to be picking up where Julia left off. And where we were in chapter 21 in Matthew's gospel, we saw and she talked about how there were three parables that are confrontational and they're aimed with some harsh words towards the religious leaders of the Jewish people. And these three parables focus on the failure of the current Jerusalem leadership to respond to God's call. And it looks at the consequences of this failure and the impacts that it had for the people of God. And so last week we saw how Jesus used this parable that focused on family through the relationship of a father and two sons. And, um, you know, Jesus in this parable identified the Jewish leaders as a son who answered the father's request in word, but didn't actually follow through in action. Um, And Julia talked about how action is a kingdom thing, that the faith that we have must be something that is alive in us and lead us to take action as a result. So tonight's parable will have a similar truth involved as repetition is often the price we pay for knowledge, right? Uh, Like, I know I don't always learn things the first time I'm told them. Some of the parents in the room tonight probably know that too well for their children. Like, how many times do I have to tell you? And so, um, and, and sometimes it just helps to hear the same truth from a different angle right, in a slightly different way. And so the parable we're going to look at tonight will be actually using a lot of imagery of um, agrarian or farming uh, illusions and metaphors, so to speak, images pertaining to farming. So as this was something very common to Jesus's culture. So there's a lot for us to unpack here. Let's dive into chapter 21 of Matthew, starting in verse 33. It reads, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. All right, so pause right there. So we see that there is this landowner in this parable who comes to establish a vineyard. 
and he establishes and cares for this vineyard in many ways, such as setting a hedge of protection and a wall around it. Uh, he digs a, a wine press for it. He builds a watchtower to overlook the vineyard. Like he pulls out all the stops for this thing. And then he leaves and he rents it out to some other tenants and moves to another place. And you may be wondering like, why in the world would you go through so much trouble just to like get up and leave and go somewhere else? That doesn't, that doesn't on the surface seem to make much sense. But reality, as we look a little bit deeper, it, it really makes a lot of sense. You see, if this was to be a source of income, it totally made sense to get this thing started, right? And then to have someone else do the work, right? Like the tenants would take care of the vineyard and they would live off the fruit that it would produce and the owner could go on somewhere else and make a living doing something else. And then at the proper time, he would, uh, would receive um, his portion as well. And this is also makes sense because when vineyards were first started and planted, they wouldn't bear fruit for at least the first four years, sometimes even longer. I don't know about you, but four years is like a pretty long time. Like you close your eyes and you're out of here in four years, which is crazy. Well, mostly, but uh, anyways, uh, and so the vineyard uh, wouldn't produce fruit for some time here. Sorry, something going on with the iPad. And so if, if the owner could um, afford to pay someone else to do this work, um, he could go and do something else. And so speaking of the landowner, if you haven't already figured it out, the landowner in this parable represents God. What may be harder to understand is that the vineyard represents Israel, the people of God. God has planted them where they are. God has planted Israel that it would bear fruit, that they would be a nation, a kingdom of priests through which God would bless the entire world. And the acts such as digging a wine press, building a hedge around it, building a watchtower, all this goes to show the care that God has for the vineyard, which portrays the love that God has for his people. And unlike whatever experiences, good or bad, you may have had with um, any landowners or landlords <laughs> in your lives, right? Um, God is a very thoughtful and benevolent and patient landowner, as we will see. And whereas in our society, we can often view the tenants as the good guys and the landowners as the bad guys, um, such as when they are slow to make the appropriate repair requests that we put in, or they raise the cost of rent, or um, they're just really you know, persistent about getting that lease finally signed, right? Um, but tonight, we're gonna see a little bit of a reversal of roles as we read on here. So continuing in verse 34. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. So pause right there. So um, we see that there were these tenants then, right? who were supposed to take over this vineyard, they're supposed to watch it, I should say, and cultivate this, this fruit and see that um, the vineyard owner would receive his portion as expected. And verse 34 tells us that when harvest time approaches, God, right, the landowner, sends people to come and collect this fruit. 
But rather than receiving what was expected, the servants are brutally beaten. Many of them are even killed. And this doesn't happen just once, but multiple times, right? So the question arises, who, who are the tenants? And who are the servants that are seized, beaten, and killed? Right? Like this would have been the question that came to the mind of those who were hearing this parable live um, from Jesus. And it's also something you may be wondering as well. Um, and so as we'll see towards the end of the parable, uh, it's clear that the tenants are the Pharisees and the chief priests, that they are the religious elite, the religious leaders of Israel. And though on the outside they seem to be doing everything right, inwardly their hearts have become so far removed from God. They have been placed in leadership to steward this vineyard, the people of Israel, and to help it bear fruit. But ultimately they have failed. They have not followed through with becoming the kingdom of priests that God has called them to be, that God has desired for all the nations of the world to be blessed through Israel, and they dropped the ball on this too. Not only that, but the religious leaders that Jesus um, is calling out uh, made following God so much more difficult on people than it really needed to be. They got so caught up in following God's law that they forgot how to follow after God's heart. And so this led them to a time of rebellion where ultimately Israel as a whole turned away from God and the consequences were disastrous. Eventually, this led to a divided kingdom, and ultimately their rebellion led to their kingdom being wiped out, and the Israelites found themselves scattered in exile in distant lands, and it was pretty much back to really where it was when God called them out of their bondage in Egypt in the first place. And you're like, okay, wait a minute, Hunter, well, what, is, what is going on here? I thought you said we were talking about good news tonight, right? Like, oh, did you hear this guy? Uh, and so far, this hasn't seemed pretty good. To that, I would say, don't worry. We're getting there. The good news is coming. The gospel is a kingdom thing. And so throughout this time of division and exile, God sent many different prophets to his scattered people. And the details of this actually make up a huge portion of scripture. Like if I took my Bible and just flipped left of Matthew, like we're still going. This is this is like all prophecy. We get to Proverbs and Psalms, and there's a little bit more. But like, this is a huge chunk of Scripture, right? Like, there is a lot to be said here um, during this time. And the details of this make up a huge portion of Scripture, but we often glance over these passages or struggle to read them because they can be a little difficult to understand, or they're just filled with many constant warnings and harsh pictures of judgment. But the servants we see in this parable who are seized, beaten, stoned, and killed, like these are the prophets that God sends to Israel. And the messages that they brought were not warmly received. You know, they weren't wanting to change their ways. They refused to believe that what had happened to them was brought upon themselves in their rebellion. And so the Israelites killed many of these prophets. They treated the message of the prophets as if it was bad news. When in reality, there was actually great room for hope. The prophets didn't just bring a message of gloom and doom. They brought a call to repentance. They, they brought a call to bear fruit for God. They brought some good news with them too. 
The prophets spoke of a God who would welcome his people back and would restore them. They spoke of a promised Messiah, a Savior who would one day atone for their sins, who would bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. They spoke of a God who had great promises for them if they would put their rebellious ways behind them and once again follow him. If you haven't read many of these prophetic books, I would encourage you to do so. Um, as it's just like really beautiful in the way that it shows the heart of God and just like how long and patient he is <laughs> with us in our rebellion, uh, with us when we turn away from him. Um, but I'd also recommend getting a commentary too, because without proper context, it can be really confusing and a lot of it can go over our heads. I know that for myself. And so um, as you read these, like, I believe they will really help you have a greater understanding of God's patience and love for us. That for so many generations and generations when all his people did was rebel against him, God gave them every opportunity to repent and to come back to his love. But instead of repenting and responding to the invitations to come back, they instead murdered many of these prophets that God had sent. Many like Amos were beaten Several like Jeremiah and Zechariah were stoned, and many like Isaiah and Micah and others were killed just as the servants in this parable were. Yet, instead of giving up hope and giving these tenants what they deserved, there's one last attempt at peace that the landowner makes. They will respect my son, he says. And so he sends the son. And the climax of this parable is just around the corner. So let's read on verse 38. When the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So in one last attempt to bring their hearts back to the right place, the landowner sends his son. But instead of listening to the son, they kill him too. All right, wait a minute, wait a minute, Hunter. Like, where are you going with this? Where is the good news, right? Like, you had us going for a second with talking about the prophets and the good news that they brought. But now, now the son is killed. Like, like where, where are you going with this? Like, where is the good news you promised to us? Well, there's actually a lot of good news here. And though it may seem obvious to us, right, that um, the son in this parable is Jesus, right, we have to put ourselves in the place of those who were originally hearing this parable, right, those who lived on the other side of Jesus's death and resurrection in order to fully understand what Jesus was communicating. Because at the time that Jesus is giving this parable, right, the son had not yet suffered what the tenants were going to do to him. And the good news for those listening to this parable was that this was still one more opportunity to repent and turn back to God. One more opportunity to be met with God's mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. The good news for them and the good news for us is that Jesus' life wasn't taken from him unwillingly. No, he willingly laid his life down. And whereas the servants and the prophets may not have known their outcome in advance, it's clear to us and it was clear to them that Jesus knew full well what was to come and yet he endured it for us anyways. And the good news is that the son's mission did not end with his death, right? That there would be more to the story. 
The good news is that his death was not mission failed. It was mission accomplished. That sin was conquered, that death was defeated, that our debt is paid for, that forgiveness is granted, that even though sin sought to separate us from God, Jesus has reconciled us to himself, that we are no longer enemies of God, but we are his friends. We are his beloved. And as the parable goes on, we see that there is still more good news. It speaks of the good news that Jesus is the cornerstone, that though he was the stone that the builders rejected, the Messiah who is rejected by many, it turns out that he is indeed the cornerstone. And what this was is the the cornerstone served as the foundation of structures and buildings, that uh, it joined all sides of the structures together. It held everything in its place. And Christ desires not just to be the cornerstone of the church, but the cornerstone of our very lives, that he would be our firm foundation, that we would find our home in him, that when troubles and hardships in life come our way, that we can cling to him and he will uphold us. He will not crumble nor give way. He is our refuge, our strength. He is our shelter. He will not let us down. And just as the cornerstone served as the guide for the rest of the building, that the cornerstone was placed and then everything moved out from there to guide the process, Jesus, too, wants to guide our lives. Uh, The Apostle Peter referenced the same psalm and idea in 1 Peter 2. And it says, and I think the verses will be on the screen behind me, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And now to you who believe this stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not yet received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, this is the good news. Because up until the the ministry of Jesus, it was widely believed and accepted that God's plans and purposes really only concern the people of Israel. And though God had clearly um, indicated in Scripture um, that his plans for blessing the world and salvation included all nations, Um, The people of God who were to have a special part of that, Israel, had instead really only focused on themselves. Instead of becoming this kingdom of priests and a witness to the world that God called them to be. And so this idea pretty much meant that uh, if you were not uh, ethnically Jewish, as I would assume most of us in this room aren't, maybe there are a couple of you, congrats, you would have made it, but uh, the rest of us would have been left out, and that is tough, right? What we see in the teachings and the work 
of Jesus and the early church is that God's plan of salvation for every tribe, nation, people, and tongue was finally beginning to be understood. And as shared in this passage from Peter, which was written to a a Gentile or non-Jewish audience, so us, he says that we all are God's chosen people, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation, that we are God's special possession. I don't know about you, but I think that's good news, right? And he says that this is so that we would declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That when we follow Jesus, we leave behind the kingdom of darkness and we now walk in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. This is the good news of the gospel, that the kingdom of darkness is no match for the kingdom of God, that Jesus invites us into his kingdom and gives us new life, life more abundantly, life that is filled with joy, peace, hope, love, purpose, and so much more that he promises to never leave us nor forsake us, and he invites us to follow him on the adventure of a lifetime. And this is, this is the invitation into his kingdom, and it is available to everyone, and it is available to all of us here today. So my question for you is, have you responded to this invitation? I want to take a moment for the next few minutes just to invite anyone in this room today who has not yet accepted this invitation to do so. And so as we prepare for that, I just would ask that all of you would close your eyes just for a moment. Perhaps tonight... As we've talked about this good news, there may be some of you who have not yet heard this news before, but hearing about it for the first time is absolutely exciting. Or perhaps for some of you in this room, you've heard this good news before, but maybe this good news has become much more real to you tonight than it has ever been before. Maybe you've been longing for more of these things in your life, such as joy or hope, peace, and love. Maybe you've been trying to find your purpose, and tonight you've come to realize that God has great plans and purposes for your life if you would just trust yourself into his loving arms. If you haven't yet accepted this invitation to God's kingdom, to know him and be known by him, I can't think of a better time to do that than right now. And so if there is anyone in this room who would like to do that, who would like to respond to this invitation to come and follow Jesus tonight and say yes to the adventure of a lifetime, I would like for you just to signify that by raising your hand. Is there anyone in this room tonight that would say yes to this adventure of a lifetime, that would say yes to following Jesus, that tonight would be the night where you go all in? There be anyone. All right. Okay, Alpha, you can open your eyes. As we begin to close, Kai Alpha, may I just encourage you, may I encourage us to be the kingdom of priests that God calls for us to be, 
that we would be ambassadors of Jesus, that we would live lives with our citizenship in heaven, that we would live a life of knowing him and being known by him. May we also live to make him known to everyone around us, right? I don't know about you, but I still see plenty of darkness in this world around us as we await the return of Christ to fully usher in his kingdom. But as we are ambassadors for the kingdom of light, for God's kingdom, we can shine the light of Jesus wherever we go. May you shine the light of Christ to those around you in your dorms, in your classes, uh, in, in any part of this campus in the greater Harrisonburg community. You know, may you shine this light of, of Jesus back home in your family. As many of you will be going back home for the summer, going back into friend groups who maybe some of your friends haven't had quite the same experience in their relationship with God as you have, may you be a light to all those that you are surrounded by. And may you continue to spread this good news. You know, think about what would happen if we were quick to testify to everyone about the goodness of God in our lives, right? How many more people would we see accept this invitation to God's kingdom as we have? How many more people in our lives would we see set free from the darkness of this world as God breaks any chains that would seek to hold them down? as he fills them with hope and joy and love and peace that can only come from him, true peace that is lasting. As Jesus showed in his calling of the disciples, the ones who would replace the tenants in the parable or the disciples that he's referring to, he uses ordinary women and men to accomplish his mission, right? The disciples weren't anyone that were super special. Like Jesus just simply called them to follow him. And the same is true for us, that Jesus simply calls us to know him, to be known by him, and to follow him on the adventure of a lifetime.